We're starting a new series today. Uh, we're going to be in Haggai chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Haggai chapter 2. It's at the end uh, of the Old Testament. And we're going to be talking about awakening. Uh, and as we talk about this, this is, a, this is a series that is close to our hearts because this revolves around our vision for what type of church are we called to be? Who are we going to be? What are we going to do? And, and what does the church look like uh, in 2021? And, and so I want to start with this passage in Haggai. And, and, and here's what's going on here. There is this moment where the people of God are getting ready to dedicate the second temple. Now, the first temple was this amazing temple. We just walked through 1 Kings. Remember, Solomon was building the temple in that time. It was built with the greatest resources that could be made. It was one of the wonders of the world at that time. It was this beautiful, amazing megachurch, right? It had everything. It had the coffee in the back. It, had the, uh, like it, was, it was this beautiful, beautiful temple. And, and, and then what happened was the people of God were sent into exile because of their disobedience, were sent to Babylon, and the temple was destroyed. Nehemiah leads God's people back, and they begin to rebuild the temple. And here in Haggai chapter 2, they're getting ready to dedicate the new temple. And as they're dedicating the new temple, there's some interesting things happening. Because there are people there who remember the previous temple, who remember the beauty of it, the size of it, the magnificence of it, who know that this was this amazing temple, this incredible structure. They've heard the stories of it told over and over and over again. And so there are people that are weeping in this moment because the temple is not what it once was. And then there's others who are just excited that there's a temple again. Right? They're just thrilled that something new is happening. They're just excited that something fresh is going on. They're just exciting that something's awakening. And so they're thrilled and they're worshiping. And so in the crowd, what it says in, 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 one, in, in the Old Testament is that there was weeping and there was worshiping at the same time. And you couldn't tell the difference between the two. That feels like 2020 to me a little bit. That feels like this week. A little bit. Like we, I, I love it that we're gathered together as a church. I love it that we're worshiping. I love it that we're bringing hearts of gratitude and we're praising the Father. I love how Tyler started the service today. Please, God, let's get more, more excited during worship. Right? I, I love all of that. But at the same time, we come in with heavy hearts. We come in exhausted and worn out and weeping and, and wounded and, and, and tired and all of this thing. So in this moment in Haggai, as, as Haggai begins to be prophetic and to speak to the nation, he's, there, he's speaking to an audience that is both weeping and worshiping. And he says this, in the seventh month on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai the prophet and said this, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of all the people who say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? He says, listen, something new is starting here. There's a new awakening. There's a fresh dream. There's a fresh vision. God is turning the page and inviting us into something new. But here's the question he asks, how do you see it? How do you recognize it? How do you know when God is doing something new? 
How do you recognize that something significant is happening? How do you know that this moment may be important and may be significant and may be bigger than other moments? What we see happening here is a beginning invitation to a new kingdom dream for God's people. They are a people that had been exiled. They are a people that had been wounded. They are a people that had been broken. They are people that had been tired and worn out and frustrated, and they took this long journey back home, and then they built this temple. Scripture says that they built it with, with a tool in one hand and a sword in another so that they could protect themselves. They're tired of fighting. They're exhausted. They're worn out. And God says, I am doing something new. There is a new season. There is a new invitation. There is a new beginning that you are invited into. Do you not see it? And I would suggest that the same invitation exists for us right now. That God wants to do something new in our country. God wants to do something new in our hearts. God wants to do something new in our churches. God wants to do something new in our schools. God wants to do something new in Marietta. And the question is, can we see it? Are we awake to it? I love new. Anybody else? I love vision and dreaming and entrepreneurial stuff. I'm an apostle is, is what scripture talks about in the, in the five-fold gifting of the spirit. And, and so I love new ideas. I love vision. I love talking about ideas. I can live in the future and not the present. I, I, I get so excited. I, my friend calls himself a spiritual entrepreneur, and I love that. That's how I feel about myself. When I hear new ideas of how to do church or new ideas of, of, of how churches are operating, I get goosebumps. I get this little pump of adrenaline when I talk about ideas and it just get excited. I could sit and talk about ideas all day. Anybody with me? Where are my dreamers? I love ideas. My wife hates them. Right? She's always like, no, let's talk about what is really happening here. Let's talk about what's really going on. I love ideas. Um, and Haggai is invited to speak a word to people who are weeping and people who are worshiping. And this announcement of the kingdom, God loves big announcements. God is pretty understated in scripture considering he's God. Are you with me? But he loves big announcements, choirs of angels, warrior angels, dreams, visions of going up to heaven. Like there's all these ways that God announces something new that is big. And so God in this moment is not understated. He's saying, behold, a new thing is starting. I'm ushering in a new moment. Something is shifting. Heaven is about to touch earth. The Celts use this phrase. They, they said it's a thin place because there's a thin space between heaven and earth. That's what God is saying. There is a moment that is happening that is this thin space. There's this moment that's happening where heaven is about to reach down to earth. There is a moment when something new is going to happen. And when that happens, this is what we call it around here. We call it a kingdom dream. It's a kingdom dream. And a kingdom dream is this. It is the good work that God has uniquely created you and uniquely called you to do. Notice the word you. It is each of us, we believe this without a shadow of a doubt, each and every one of us are called to a kingdom dream. The moment that we become a Christian, we are invited to be ambassadors for the kingdom, which means we now work for a new kingdom. We don't work for the Democrats. We don't work for the Republicans. We work for the kingdom. We don't work at Starbucks. We don't work in an accounting firm. We work for the kingdom. 
We are, we've taken on a new identity. We have taken on a new role in the kingdom. And, and, and when we become awake to this in our lives, what happens is we become awake to the dream that God has for us. That's what happens first. And then what we begin to do is we align our lives around that kingdom dream. That's what scripture says, calls walking by faith. We become awake to what God wants for us. We become awake to what he's doing with me in the world. We become awake to why he's placed me in the places that he's placed me, why he's gifted me the way that he's gifted me, why he has placed me in the job or in the school or in the context that I'm in. We become aware of our own spiritual gifts. We become aware of what stirs our hearts and what stirs our emotion, and we align our lives so that we can walk by faith into the kingdom dream that the Father's invited us to, and then what begins to happen is we become alive in that place. We really become alive when we walk where God asks us to walk. Are you with me? That when we begin to step out in faith, we begin to realize, wait a minute, this is bigger than I thought it was. This is hard, but it's beautiful. This is challenging, but it's good. This is, this is difficult, but I'm seeing this fruit and I'm learning to walk by faith and I'm learning to trust him. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this. It says, for we are his workmanship, which means he created us so that we would be his workers, which means the reason that you are who you are is because there is a role for you in the kingdom. The reason your heart gets stirred by certain things is because there's a role for you in the kingdom. The reason you have the intellect in your head is because there's a role for your kingdom, for you in the kingdom. The reason you have specific skills is because there's a role for you in the kingdom. We are his workmanship and we were created in Christ for good works. That word good works is the word ergon in the Greek. The Greek word is ergon and that word actually means occupation. When, when we read that, we often read it as like, there's a good work plan for you today, like help this old lady cross the street. That's your good work for the day, right? Which is true, right? I, I hope we help old ladies cross the street when they need it. I don't find a lot of, I don't do a lot of helping old ladies cross the street. I don't know why I use that example. But, but if there's, there's little things that happen throughout the day that we're called to do and that we've got to step into. But this is bigger than that. Can we go back to that text? It's bigger than that. It's not just this little thing that we do once, it's this good work, it's this occupation that we have been created to. Do you believe this? There is an occupation for you in the kingdom. Do we believe that? Do we trust that? Do we believe that God has created us for a purpose and he's made us who we are so that we would do the good works? And this, I love this, which God prepared beforehand, which means God already knows the good works that we're supposed to be doing. God knows your kingdom dream. And here's the beautiful thing about God. He wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to reveal your kingdom dream to you. He wants to reveal where he's called you to work to you. So that what? So that we should walk in it. So that we learn to walk in it. We have an occupation that has been given to us. We were created for that occupation. And all of us are kingdom workers. We are workers in the kingdom of God, which means we belong not to this world, but to the kingdom of God. We believe that every believer has a kingdom dream. Now, oftentimes, the way the church works is this way. Uh, the pastor or the staff or the elders or the board will gather together and they'll come up with a vision. And they'll come up with a strategy of 
what the church is and what the church is supposed to do. And then they'll go before the church and they'll say, listen, here's our strategy. And the strategies are always beautiful, right? They're for the flourishing of God's people. They're for the flourishing of the community. They're often um, articulate and beautiful and good. And they come up with a strategy and the pastor will stand in front of the church and say, hey, everybody, this is our dream. And here's how you can sign up to be a part of the dream. And there's a volunteer sheet. And you can sign up, and there's 10 different ways that you can help with kids' ministry, and there's 10 different ways that you can help greeting at the front door, and there's 10 different ways that you can help in the band, and there's all of these different things. And we say, now we are doing the good works that God prepared for us in advance. Can I just suggest that we want to be a different type of church? And I'm not saying that we don't want volunteers. We need volunteers, right? But volunteering is something we do because we love this community. Right? It's like a family dinner. When families have dinner together, at least when our family has dinner together, we don't make Sarah do all the work. Somebody's doing the dishes. Somebody's clearing the table. Somebody else is helping set and prepare. Like We, we do all of these things because it's how the family works. But, but volunteering is not your kingdom dream. I, I, maybe it is, but I haven't met a lot of people who are like, you know what my kingdom dream is? It's to volunteer once a week for an hour, and it's awesome. I think it's more of an occupation. It's more of this ongoing thing that we're called to do. So rather than being a church that says, here's our dream, sign up on the dotted line to be a part of our dream, this is what we want to do. You have a dream. The job of the church is to help you figure out what your dream is and to live into it. We want to help you become awake to that dream. We want to help you become aligned to that dream. And we believe that as we're pursuing the dreams that God has for us, we become alive. And so we are, our, our vision, this is, I, I love this image. The image that I've had in my mind for the past three years is this. It's a dream factory. What if the church became a dream factory? What if the church became this place where we started stirring up what God is doing in the hearts of every believer? And rather than the church being the hero we start sending out real heroes into the community to go live out their faith and go live out their kingdom calling. What if we awakened every believer in our community to the idea that you are an ambassador of Christ, there is a work that God has prepared for you, and you can step into it, and we will walk beside you and help you figure out what that looks like. Because a dream without a plan is a pipe dream. right? And so a lot of us, we have this faint recognition that there's a God dream going on, that there's something that I'm called to, but we don't have any plans or preparation or any strategy of how to do that. The church has been working for about a year now to develop curriculum, to develop detailed ways that we can help you, one, discover what your dream is, two, learn how to walk into it, and three, invite others into your dream so that we can make it a reality. Now, we study the Bible, and this is what we see. This, when people ask me, what's the greatest differentiation between the early church and the church today? It's that they lived their dreams. They weren't concerned with building the biggest temple in town. They weren't concerned with the tithing that they got in every week. They weren't concerned about bigging, building a bigger building or, or having the coolest worship service in town. They did not have smoke machines. Like, none of those things existed. They were just a family, a community of people that were all encouraging each other to go and live their kingdom dream out. The, the difference between the early church and us is they actually did the stuff, and we don't. We talk about the stuff. 
And so what we do is we train for a game that doesn't exist. We work out, and our number one priority this, this, this year is, is to get out of the church, to get outside the church walls. We can't have giant crowds this year so far. We can't keep building a giant temple and trying to build a bigger building and building our ministry on butts in the seat and tithes that come and bigger buildings. We've got to build our ministry on something significant, and we're building our ministry on the life and the ministry of Jesus and his calling for us to go do the same. And so I hope that everybody feels challenged this year. I hope that there are dreams that are unleashed that get us outside the walls of the church. Let's get back to Haggai chapter 2 because I could go on forever. So Haggai gives an introduction, and then what he does is he gives instructions. This is interesting. He intros the word that the Lord's given to him, and then he follows it up with, here are really specific instructions that God gives. And I would suggest they're the same instructions that God gives each of us as we're pursuing our kingdom dreams. Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work. So here's the first instruction. Be strong. Be strong. Which means that in order for us to walk in this way, to live into our kingdom dreams, it takes courage. It takes strength. It takes willpower. I don't know if you've ever tried to start a new habit that's hard for you. I don't know if you've ever tried, like, I'm going to lose weight this year, or I'm going to um, dedicate two hours of my time a day for this, or I'm going to, and when it's really, really difficult, what it takes is it takes willpower. It takes actual strength. It takes showing up day after day after day. And so he says, be strong. But then he also says, work, work. And why do we work? We work because he's with us. We work because we're working for the most high God. He's a pretty good boss. He also has some authority. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where your boss has to use his authority to help something get done. Anybody had that moment? Like, I've been trying to get this done, and I can't get it done. I need you as my boss to send an email. Could you call this guy? Could you fill out a TPS report? Right? Is there something that you could do in this moment for this? And, 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 and in that moment, the boss uses his authority to get stuff done. We have a God who has the authority of the whole world. He's the creator of the world. And so we get to lean in on his authority. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when I came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. And the last thing is fear not. Fear not. Be strong. Work. And don't be afraid. Those are the invitations. Be strong. Work. And don't be afraid. So over and over as a pastor, I've had the same lunch or the same coffee with somebody from, our, from a church. I, I, this isn't the only church I've pastored. Where somebody calls and says, Pastor, I got an idea. I want to sit down with you. And I'm like, ooh, I love ideas. Let's talk. Let's, well, let's drink coffee. Well, I don't drink coffee, but I'll drink tea and you can drink coffee, right? Let's do that. And I, I take my caffeine cold. It's Coke Zero is what I drink. It's my addiction. Uh, I'm confessing that right now. Uh, and... Uh, and so I gather with somebody, and they sit down, and, and, and the first thing they say is, hey, I've got an idea for what you should do. This is what you should do. This is exactly what the church should do. One, imagining that we haven't been thinking about what the church should do. <laughs> Two, imagining that we're not already a little busy. I know that there's this belief that pastors just sit around and pray, 
uh, and that, that we only work for two hours a week. Um, I promise you, we work a lot. There's a good amount of work that we put in uh, throughout the week. And so there's this kind of, I've got a dream. And I've got this dream that God has placed on my heart, but now I'm handing it off to you because the dreams are the job of the church. And can I just say that's bad theology? That's not what we see in Scripture. It doesn't say God's going to awaken you to a kingdom dream. He's going to make your pastor your ambassador, and he'll be the one to do the work that God has called you to. It doesn't say go find the youth minister at the church because they're the ones who will fulfill your work as the ambassador. It says we, the church, the church is us. It's the people. It's not the building. It's not the staff. It's not the organization. It's not the elders. It's not the people that have ministry degrees. It's not the people that get paid. The church is the people of God, and the church is called to be the light of the world. The church is called to step into these places. And, and we have all of these excuses when these moments come, right? When God breaks through, we have these moments of saying, well, I, I don't have a ministry degree. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough time. I don't know how to do this. And God says, do you trust me? Because if you trust me, you'll walk in my ways. If you trust me, you'll learn to walk in the path that I've laid out for you. So I'm praying for holy discomfort this year. I'm praying for a clear vision of God's dream for each and every person that's a part of Grace Marietta. I'm praying for courage to walk into it, strength to not be afraid, and the ability to actually work. So Haggai gives an introduction. He gives instructions. And then here's the beautiful thing. He tells us what the impact will be. Here's what it says, verse 6. It says, for thus, thus says the Lord of hosts, this is what happens when we awaken ourselves to kingdom dreams. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of the nations will come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is what happens when we walk in the ways that God has called us to, when we take responsibility for our own ambassadorship and workmanship in the kingdom, what happens is God once more shakes the heavens and shakes the earth. And he doesn't do it always the way that we want him to. He does it the way that he wants to. Do you know when this passage is fulfilled? It's not when the temple became big and beautiful again. It wasn't when they built the extra wing on the back end and everyone was like, we did it. The prophecy is fulfilled. It wasn't when there was like a festival and everybody in the nation of Israel was there and there were thousands of people gathered at the temple. That's not when, the, when it was fulfilled. You know when it was fulfilled? When Jesus walked into the temple and said, the prophecy is now fulfilled. The glory that filled the temple was Jesus. This is, guys, I know we're wearing masks. I know it's COVID. I'm going to say that again and just try and get a little response out of the church. The glory that filled the temple is Jesus. All right. We're going to, we're going to work. We need something. We need something. Uh, the, he, and and here's, what, here's what Haggai gives us. In, he gives us this introduction, instructions, and this impact. And what he teaches us is this spiritual practice. 
There's this spiritual principle that's rooted in this passage that is when we walk by faith and when we go where God calls us, something wonderful happens in us and others. I really believe that, guys. I believe that when we step out in faith, when we live a risky faith, when we change our routines, when we change the way that we live our life, and when we invest in the kingdom, I think beautiful things happen. I think the, the, the nations are shaked. I think the world is shaken. I think communities are shaken. I think churches are shaken. I think families are shaken. And what comes out of that shaking is the glory of God. And the question for the American church is, are we willing to be shaken? Or can we not just look around us and understand, we're already shaken, so let's just start living it. Right? The church is acting like we have no power. We're acting like we have no authority. We're acting like we're underground some, for some reason. The church is still the church of Jesus Christ. The power of the prophecy that when God enters in, everything changes still exists. It doesn't matter what's happening in Washington. It doesn't matter who's in the presidential office. It doesn't matter how, what our news channels are saying. The power of God is available to us today, and what are we going to do about it? So we have this practice around here. It's what we teach in all of our discipleship settings. And it's really just a practice of asking ourselves, what's the bad news that you're believing? Or what's the lie that you're believing in this moment? Because oftentimes what happens is our beliefs dictate our behavior. And so if we're believing a lie, then what happens is we live into that lie. That's why it's so important that we become not a post-truth culture but we become a, a culture that's rooted in the truth of God's word and God's commands for us. And so what we do is we name our anxieties. The, the phrase that we use when we talk about this in discipleship is the first truth you tell is always the truth about yourself. And so this week, I was sitting on my couch just like everybody else when I saw what was happening. And immediately, all of this bad news started flowing into me. I don't know about you guys. But immediately, all of these lies started to come to me. And immediately, I started getting texts saying, how are you responding to this? you got to respond right now. We need a statement from you right now. And I just want you to know, like, I, we don't have a PR department here, guys. It's me and Douglas, and we're watching and we're traumatized in the middle of this, just like you were. And we're trying to make sense of what's true and what's not true, because there's tons of information that's coming out that's not true. And there's information that's true, and we're trying to disseminate what's true and what's not true, and we're trying to understand everything that's happening. And so in there, the bad news that started coming at me, just like a wave, was this fear. Like, we're losing. God, we're losing. That was my fear. The people of God are losing, and I'm tired of it. Truth is losing, and I'm tired of it. There was this anxiety that poured over to me. And then, and then I'm a fixer. I want to fix things. And I can't fix this. And so there's all this fear and all this uh, frustration. And then I got angry and I wanted to demonize others. And I wanted to lash out. And I wanted to do exactly what the politicians and the media was telling me to do in that moment. Which is choose your side and yell at everybody else. And so I just stopped. I turned off the TV I removed Facebook from my phone for a little while. I went into my office, and I just started praying. I said, Lord, I, I'm afraid. 
and I'm anxious, and I think we're losing, and I'm angry, Lord. I'm angry at white supremacy. I'm angry at, at the place that our culture and our world is at. I'm angry with where America is right now. And I just had a sense of the Lord, and it wasn't some kind of audible thing. It was just a sense of the Lord's still small voice reminding me of his word and of his character. And the word that came to me is, I am patiently making all things new, and you can trust me. I am patiently making all things new, and you can trust me. And so I had to take a deep breath, and I had to say, I'm not going to live in the kingdoms of this world. I'm not going to live in the world of partisan politics. I'm going to live in the world of Scripture, and I'm going to name what's real in me. I'm going to name my own anxieties, and I'll name them, I'll confess them to you as a church. I'm afraid right now, guys. There's no handbook for pastors on how to lead in moments like what happened this week. I'm afraid I'm going to alienate people because I don't say enough. I'm afraid I'm going to alienate people because I say too much. I'm afraid that I can't trust my own wisdom and discernment, and that even my own thinking is partisan and not kingdom. I'm afraid of all of those things. But here's the truth, and here's what I'm standing on right now. I am patiently making all things new, and you can trust me. And so, Heavenly Father, we wait right now. We wait for you to make all things new. And that includes us. It includes our own hearts. It includes our own brokenness. It includes our own fear and anxiety, our own desire to be a part of our own mobs that cry out with violence. And we just confess that we need you. We need you to make us new. We need you to work in us. We need you to patiently transform our hearts and our minds. And I pray, Lord, let it begin with us. Let us be a people who stand on your word, who stand on your truth, who stand on scripture. And I pray, Father, that in this season, of shaking, as our country is shaken, as there's frustrations all around us, anger and animosity and choosing sides, I pray that that shaking shakes loose something new in the kingdom that is beautiful and that is good. I pray for revival right now in Marietta. I pray for revival in our schools. I pray for revival amongst our young people. I pray for revival in our hearts. I pray for revival in our community. And I pray that that revival spreads to the nations and spreads to the world. We thank you, Jesus, that you're working. We thank you that you're with us. And we thank you that you invite us to do your work. We get to create like you. We get to make like you. We get to do the things. And so I pray that you will empower us, that you will strengthen us, that you will teach us to do the work and not be afraid. The end of that passage says this, guys. I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And so, 
Heavenly Father, we pray that the latter glory of America doesn't compare to the, for, or to the former glory, that, that there is something new that is stirred, that there is a new awakening, that there is a new revival that happens, and we pray that you once again would shape the world with your love and your, your, your amazing Teach us to walk in that love. Teach us to step away and to find you and to find your truth. And awaken new dreams in us. And teach us how to walk in that. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to move into a time of communion and worship. If you didn't get communion, uh, juice and, and the elements on the way in, there's tables around the back that you can go to. Our prayer team is in the back. If you're just feeling extra anxious this week or just want to pray with somebody or just need some time with somebody, there's a group of people in the foyer out there with name tags that would love to pray with you today and spend some time with you. Um, but as we go into this kind of final time of worship and communion and prayer, could you start by just saying, Lord, start the awakening in me. Start the awakening in me. I'm not asking you to start it in my neighbor. I'm not asking you to start it in those people. I'm not asking you to start it in this group. I'm asking you to start it in me.